Os Guinness told of a joke about a man who was convinced that he was dead. Fearing the worst, he went to see a counselor who could convince him otherwise. The wise and patient counselor met with the man and asked him a couple of questions. Seeing that he wasn't making any progress, helping this man realize he isn't really dead, he assigns him some homework. But first he says this, he makes this truth claim, dead men don't bleed. And he assigns this man homework to look into this statement to see is this statement true or not. And so for a couple of months, the man opened up medical textbook after medical textbook. He read articles. He went to see a few autopsies even. And after a few months, he comes back to the counselor and he realizes, he says, you know what, you're right. Dead men don't bleed. And so the counselor opens up his desk drawer, takes out a pin, reaches across the table, pokes him in the finger, and blood comes out. The man in shock exclaims, oh no, dead men do bleed. He saw it, and he believed. You've probably heard the statement before that seeing is believing. It's the very reason why infomercials exist. They're not there because you enjoy watching them. Nobody can argue with what has just been seen. You just saw the same thing. It has to be true. There's more to believing, though, than simply seeing. We have our own presuppositions, our own ideas, our own beliefs that give meaning to the things that we see. It colors what we see. For instance, the man with the joke began with the conviction that he was dead, and there was nothing that anybody could do to convince him otherwise. Even when he is convinced of the facts that dead men don't bleed, when he bleeds, he throws out that truth and clings to his own truth. He interpreted the facts to match up with his own delusional idea of reality. The man in the joke isn't the only one who is guilty of doing this. We do it all the time. We interpret facts however we want to defend our deepest beliefs. We translate what we see accordingly so that we can still be right. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 6. And as we read this passage, we'll see how the Israelites and Moses do this exact same thing. Exodus chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Exodus 6, beginning at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. 
But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, we pray that we would believe your word, that we would see your word, we would believe it, we would hold fast to it each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some context to this story is helpful. If you've been following along with us and reading through the Old Testament this year, you'll remember some of these things from the beginning of Exodus. Exodus starts out talking about Moses' birth and how he was shipped off into a little basket and raised in Pharaoh's own household. This is how he was raised. And then we find out later Moses sees an Egyptian harming a Hebrew slave. And so he pushes him off a ledge and ends up killing him. And he flees for his life. And it was while he was there fleeing for his life in Midian that he sees this burning bush where the Lord appears to him and, or talks to him and tells Moses that he was going to be the one to deliver the Lord's people from Egypt. Moses gives the Lord all kinds of excuses as to why he's not the man for the job, even though the Lord raised him to be the perfect candidate for such a job. After a lot of hemming and hawing, Moses goes with his brother Aaron and they talk to Pharaoh. And they tell all of the, elder, all of the elders of the sons of Israel what the Lord said and what the Lord was going to do. And we read these words, the people believed and worshipped the Lord. It was good news. It was great to hear. They, they heard the news and they believed what the Lord said. And then Moses and Aaron went in to tell Pharaoh what the Lord said. And they say, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me. Pharaoh is a Pharaoh. He's not one to be told what to do. Pharaoh was treated as a god. He was likened to a god in the Egyptians at the time. And here come these people, these slaves, saying, Hey, the God of your slaves is coming to you, O Pharaoh, O God, to say, Let my people go, that they may serve me. There's a conflict of power here. Is Pharaoh the, supposed to bow down to the God of his slaves? He's enslaving them. He is powerful. He is more powerful than this God. So he dismisses it. He does not listen to what the Lord has to say. He wouldn't have it. Instead, Pharaoh makes their slavery that much harder. And the Israelite foremen are beaten. These foremen go away and they meet Moses and Aaron. And they share a piece of their mind with them. Needless to say, they aren't too pleased. Moses then asks God, God, why did you even send me? You said you were going to do this and you haven't done it. You've only made things worse. Why did you even send me to do this? And the Lord responds in chapter 6, in the verses that we read. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God tells Moses that Pharaoh is going to be forced to do it. Watch and see who's really in control. Is it Pharaoh? Is this man-made God the one who's in control? The Lord is going to force him to do it. He says he will be compelled to let them go. He won't have a choice. Even someone with as much earthly authority as Pharaoh had, he will bow the knee to the Lord. He will submit to the Lord. I am the Lord, God says. 
In doing so, he reveals by what authority all of this is to be done. He is God Almighty. Almighty, all-powerful. There is no one more powerful than him. He is the Lord. And the Lord further explains to Moses who he is in verses 3 and 5. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. The Lord acknowledges that he is the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he does not change, the one that their forefathers worshipped. But there is an aspect of himself that they did not previously know. By my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them, he says in verse 3. Previously, they knew him to be God Almighty. They knew him to be the God of the covenant, the one who has made a covenant with them, saying, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will give you this land. He is still all of those things. But now we are about to see another aspect of his nature by which he would be known from here on out. He touches on that in verses 6 and 7. As he says these words, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. They weren't under the burdens of the Egyptians before, but now they are. And I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. A God affirms saying, I am still the God of your forefathers. I am still the God of this covenant. This covenant I haven't forgotten about. It is still for you, but I'm going to do something else. I'm going to redeem you. Watch and see. This is more than just a peptime half talk or halftime pep talk. God reveals himself here to be the God of redemption, a God who is going to purchase his people, a God who will buy them back. He would deliver them from under their oppression, deliver them from their bondage, deliver them from their slavery. Watch and see. He's going to do it. He is Yahweh, God Almighty, the God who hears, the God who remembers, the God who sees, the God who acts, the God who covenants himself, the God who delivers. Watch and see. Moses relays the message onto the Israelites. The same ones who just over 30 verses before believed in the Lord, bowed down to him and worshipped him. And how do they respond to this message from God Almighty? What does verse 9 say? They did not listen to Moses. They did not listen to Moses. The Lord God Almighty is speaking to them through his prophet Moses, and they do not listen. For what possible reason do they have to not listen to the word of the Lord? Verse 9 shares that answer as well. On account of their despondency and cruel bondage. The foreman must have really gotten a beating in the last chapter. To beat out of them their belief in God to beat into them the idea that you will always be a slave, to beat into them that no one better cross Pharaoh, to beat into them that they have no hope, not even their God can deliver them. They would always be slaves. 
They saw the effect of the last time Moses talked to Pharaoh. He didn't listen. And they don't want Moses to try again. It's already hard enough. Don't say anything. He only made their lives more difficult. They can't handle it again. It didn't matter who spoke to them, not even the Lord God Almighty. Nothing could persuade them that their present circumstances would ever change. They experienced it. They lived it. They saw it. They believed they would always be slaves. Pharaoh was greater than the Lord. All the Lord ever did for them was make their lives worth. Give them, gives them a false hope. Their experiences in their current situation spoke so loudly they refused to listen to God. They trusted in their sight because after all, seeing is believing, right? They trusted in their experiences because who can argue? They experienced this. They went through it. They had the marks on their backs to show for it. They did not trust God Almighty. They would not believe. Their circumstances were greater than their God. Experience is a deadly place to place our trust because the convictions and the beliefs that we assure ourselves of, that our experiences often assure us of, are often misguided. We're no different than the patient who's convinced that dead men do, in fact, bleed. Look around you in the world today. Is God in control? As Harlan read from Daniel chapter 5, that all earthly leaders submit to God. God is the one who places them there. Is God in control? Is Christ really seated on the throne? When the order of death is interrupted and a child dies before a parent, is God good? Does God care about your neighbors? Does God care about you? Does God care about the widows and the orphans? Does God care about this world that he's created? Does God care about the babies in the wombs? Because it sure doesn't look like it, does it? What does your experience tell you? What does God Almighty say about these things? Let's bring it closer to home. Something that each of us can resonate with. Does God really love you? I mean, could he really love someone as messed up, as stubborn, as sinful, and as belligerent as you? And I'm projecting myself here. I'm talking about myself. But I'm assuming this is a human experience that we all go through. Can God love you? What does your conscience tell you? Could God really change you? He's had however many years to try, and has it worked? Is it possible for God to make even you holy, you who continues to sin despite knowing the fact that it's wrong, you who continues to sin because you love it, even though you know God has forbidden it, you who continues to sin without even caring that it's still sinful? Can he make you holy? Or what about this? Can he really raise the dead? Have you seen it? Have you ever seen it? What does your experience tell you? What does your heart tell you? What does your conscience tell you about these things? Seeing is believing, we say. We have to see it in order to believe it. And even more dangerous yet is this idea that feeling is believing. If you feel something, it has to be true. What is it that you feel? What is it that you see? The million-dollar question is, does it align with what God has said? On what are you basing your faith? 
Are you basing your faith on your experiences and on your circumstances? Or are you basing it on the inerrant, infallible, always true and eternal word of God that does not change? We find ourselves believing lies because we hear them so often. We find ourselves believing lies because our experience or someone else's experience validate that truth claim that we have. We find ourselves believing lies because this is how we feel. So we run after our feelings. We run after our experiences. We believe the lies because they allow us to remain in control. We believe the lies because we don't know who God is. We believe these lies because we forget who God is. The Lord has revealed himself. He told Moses to stand back and watch him deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And as you read through Exodus, you find out he did exactly that. He told them he is going to remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and bring them into the land. And he did. He said that he would redeem them, redeem the Israelites with great judgments. And every single plague, he shows himself to be faithful. He did. He said he would take them to be his people and he would be their God. He did. He was. And he is. The question should never be, is God able? But rather, the question ought always to be, what has God Almighty said? What does God's word say? It says the Lord is Almighty. Not our circumstances, not our feelings, not our experiences, not whatever powers and authorities are over us. Despite Moses dragging his feet and not wanting to go to do what God has said, despite these Israelites thinking God would never be able to deliver them from Pharaoh, and despite Pharaoh being utterly unwilling to let his slaves go, God fulfilled his word. He kept every promise. The Israelites and the Egyptians saw it with their own eyes, with every plague, with every hurdle, with every roadblock, with every miracle. They watched the Lord keep his word, and they saw what the Lord had done to Pharaoh and his army. They were delivered. The Lord God Almighty had spoken, the Redeemer redeemed. They were free and they believed the Lord. Our faith and our beliefs are only as good as the object of our faith. It matters what we believe in. The foundation of our faith has to be something more substantial than experiences. Because look at these Israelites. What experience do they have at this point? Could they believe that God would deliver them? Their experience said it only made it worse. So don't believe in him. Submit to Pharaoh. Experiences come and experiences go. For our faith to be worth anything, it must be based on truth. The truth that will never change regardless of our circumstances or experiences. And there is an objective truth in this world today. An objective truth meaning a truth that is true for all people no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you believe. And it all begins with this, what Moses records in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. He is God Almighty. The Lord is the Redeemer. The same God that makes himself known to us and he calls, us to, calls out to us through his word. He is the God who continues to deliver from bondage. And he delivers and he redeems us. And in his word, he tells us how that has all been done for us. We remind ourselves of it every single week. And we profess it corporately each week as we confess the creed. We confess our belief in Jesus Christ. 
God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We say this each week. We confess this each week because we need the reminder that God is still in control. We need the reminder of who God is and what God has done for us. And as we learn in confirmation class, what does this mean? Luther summarizes the truths of Scripture for us in his explanation here. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, the world's not going to say that, but God's word does. Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And he has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature. He has bought me and freed me from all sins, from death, from the power of the devil, not with silver or gold, but with his holy and precious blood and with his innocent sufferings and death in order that I might be his own and live under him and his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he has risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. That does not change regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your beliefs. This is objective truth, and this is most certainly true. And so remember who God is. Remember who he has revealed himself to be. Open up the word of God and see Jesus and walk by that sight. Walk by faith in Christ. See Jesus who redeems us and delivers us from bondage, from your bondage into sin. Yes, you sinner who continues to go back to that sin because you love it. We don't have to continue to go back to it. God has set us free through Christ. Our bondage into death, thinking that death has the final say or even fear of death. We don't have to fear death because Christ will raise us up again. Death is not the final say. Our bondage to the devil, we are no longer slaves to him, but we've been set free by the blood of Christ. We're no longer in bondage to the own, our own lies that we tell ourselves. We're no longer held in bondage to our own self-righteousness, our own ability to do better. Christ has set us free. So look and see what the Lord has done. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, these are truths that we need to be reminded of each and every day. Because, Father, we lie to ourselves the world lies to us. Our experiences will tell us things that your word isn't true. Or we often feel at times that your word isn't true as well. Our feelings are real. Our experiences are real. Our perceptions, Lord, and our thoughts are often misguided. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the truth, to understand who you are and what you have done, to know that you are God Almighty, to submit to you, to trust in what you have said and what you have revealed yourself to be. We thank you, God, for sending your Son, our Lord, who has bought us and redeemed us, lost and condemned creatures, that we might be saved, that we might serve you in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness for all time. Father, we pray that you would be with those now who are being held captive by whatever lies they are believing. 
whether it's their own lies, lies from the devil, or lies from this world. Lord, rid them of their chains. Help them to see you and what you have done. Help them to see the truth. Father, may we speak your truth to a lost and dying world in search of objective truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.